Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to the Startup Operators Roundup. I'm your host uh, for today and along with Roshan, we'll be talking about the biggest headlines from the startup ecosystem from the last week. If you're curious about startups and always like to keep yourself updated on what's happening in the ecosystem, don't forget to subscribe to the Startup Operator podcast on your favorite podcast player. Hi Roshan, fine Sunday afternoon in Bangalore. How are you doing? Hey Gunjan, I'm doing better than your internet connection. But yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of optimism in the air for those of my generation i don't think we ever thought that air india will be privatized but happy to see that has happened and it's a milestone event and so yeah a lot of optimism right i mean after 58 years i think tata gained back control of the national carrier so interesting to see they've already turned around airlines like vistara doing a great job so excited to see what's ahead so it has been like a really interesting week the government has been really pushing for innovation in the startup ecosystem and I think tomorrow, Prime Minister Narendra Modi will be launching the Indian Space Association, which is an industry body aspiring to be the voice of the Indian space sector. He will be also interacting with a lot of representatives of the space industry on this occasion. This body will be undertaking policy advocacy and engage with all stakeholders in the Indian space domain. This will include both government and its uh, counterparts. Uh, this is part of the whole Atmanirbhar Bharat push and uh, many homegrown and global corporations with advanced capabilities in space and satellite technologies will be its core members. They include uh, Larson & Tudro, Nelkan by Tata Group, Bharti Airtel and Mapma India. But you know, we have seen in the past that ISRO is already partnering with startups for R&D and its launch facilities. And this in itself is a major step in a wider space privatization program. What, what do you make of this, uh, this announcement? Yeah, no, space is, you know, one of those frontiers where, you know, science and technology leaps many, many orders of magnitude, right? And it has this whole trickle down effect uh, that can flow into many different sectors that can directly impact economy and society and so on. So, so absolutely, I mean, we should encourage space innovation, right? And we've seen some of the satellite startups uh, that we've spoken about earlier as well, right? So, I mean, one of the names stuck out, right? Mapma India, for example, is a 30-year-old story. Mr. Rakesh Verma has been toiling hard at this, building indigenous maps uh, at a time when, you know, it was pre-Google Maps, pre-Apple Maps and those kind of, in those kind of circumstances, right? And his story is sort of, it mirrors the whole uh, innovation and also, I mean, where we are, you know, how far we've come because... Here's a person in the 70s and 80s who has a master's degree in the US, but chooses to come back and build for India, right? And chooses to build in such a hard domain, right? Seriously, these are times when, you know, you set up a software services firm and, you know, you're good, right? I mean, you can make a ton of money, but instead, I mean, he chooses to build in this really hard domain along with his wife, I should add, right? And it's been a 30 year old story. And I feel like that amount of ideological conviction at that point of time, right, was a huge barrier for a lot of people to come back. If those people had, you know, been in the US at that point of time, I mean, it was more natural for people to sort of start up there or, you know, even have a corporate career there, right? But leaving all that aside and coming back to India. But I think we're at a certain inflection point or perhaps, I mean, we will get there where, you know, previously the lack of capital and infrastructure for such engineering talent used to hurt, right? I mean, we will have a situation where people will start coming back, you know, and even if 
10% of these people right who maybe get into an MIT or those kind of programs do do return in India the amount of innovation that they will be able to generate here will be truly phenomenal so i am really excited about that and i really you know we've we've spoken about how isro has been so proactive in working with these satellite companies and startups as well right because a lot of these facilities a lot of the infrastructure is not something that you know a fledgling startup can really build from scratch i mean they really have to re- leverage you know existing facilities and also given the amount of regulation that is there as well they will need sort of an elder brother to sort of foster this innovation as well right which is what isro and the other authorities have been i think the indian space association is a fantastic idea i think there should be more private participation in space and uh, look at how for instance nasa is working very closely with some of these companies in the us as well right so this is phenomenal news great and also like usually when it comes to space exploration nasa is the leading body and i think it was chandrayaan 1 that put isro into the whole space map and since then i think today isro is one of the cheapest launch carriers for space and the amount of innovation that it has brought in terms of cost cutting with the mangalyaan operation and now the chandrayaan 2 with uh, more privatization being opened up the innovation will be more further and will uh, take it to a global standard absolutely also recently through a video in twitter prime minister modi has also urged scientists innovators and software developers especially those in the startup sector to think of innovative ways of using drones for public welfare in fact the ministry of civil aviation announced the new drone rules and regulations in late august which were aimed to tremendously help the startups working in this sector they replaced the unmanned aircraft system rules of which was published in march of 2021 and it received a lot of backlash right in terms of the hurdles it had for new startups to enter the space so with the whole new drones rules and regulations startups and smes you know can create innovative use cases and applications for various sectors such as e-commerce mining healthcare emergency response logistics and of course our public welfare but you know as we are trying to deregulate this space how do you see this evolving as we move forward oh we've come a long way right i think 2014 2015 drones were banned right i mean it was just a blanket ban uh, from there to now where we're seeing these as you know vehicles literally of innovation right and you know we've we've seen some of these use cases when we uh, did the podcast with vipul singh of ara one man systems as well if you haven't checked out that podcast i mean do check it out it's fantastic i think ara was doing some phenomenal work and they were early in the whole drone space right they were there in 2012 2013 if you look at the new drones policy 2021 i think it takes a very proactive approach to this right one of the things that they have proposed is to create a digital sky platform which is a business friendly single window online system where there is minimal human interference and uh, it's also in partnership with the dgca basically which is the civil aviation body right and uh, the amount of red tape has been drastically reduced i think earlier the number of forms were around 25 is down to 5 the uh, different types of fees involved were you know something like 72 different now down to about 4 right and the quantum of fees itself has reduced earlier for a pilot license i think it was around 3000 bucks for a large drone now it's down to 100 and it's valid for 10 years lot of such micro interventions have happened to make it easier simpler more seamless look at the sort of proactive approach even in terms of like limitations right i mean what they have done is they've made accessible some kind of an api which will give this uh, automatic update on what is a no go zone right they have some three different zones red yellow and green right and so here proactively this uh, uh, the, the api will alert alert them will give them an update that hey i mean this is a no go zone you're not supposed to go here 
versus just again you know simply blanket banning everything right so yeah i mean those things are phenomenal and we're going to see this whole drone ecosystem evolve by orders of magnitude i think vipul had mentioned in one of the other podcasts that the number of drones might increase by as much as 30 to 40 times right and uh, the number was around the 20 25000 mark uh, even up to last year right uh, which is so it's it's a significant significant increase and given that you know i mean ours is such a vast country has such a diverse country right we've seen for instance you know how some of the last mile initiatives even the vaccine delivery or or even elections and so on right i mean there's so much of trouble getting to the last person in india right i mean obviously with a nation of 1.4 billion people this can be amazing i mean this can be really really an important uh, sort of a innovation right and plenty of different applications whether it is road and land surveys or agriculture installation etc so yeah really really amazing and i think uh, the prime minister is absolutely right in saying that you know the drone innovation will power the new economy for sure right in other news true caller recently launched its ipo they got listed in the swedish nasdaq with the symbol true the company's share price was set to 52 swedish kronor which is close to 6 dollars and after a jump to 6.85 it settled for a total valuation of 2 billion dollars in day 1 now sequoia india owns a 19.9% stake in the company as of december 31st 2020 But interestingly, in the parliament, there is a bill called the Personal Data Protection Bill that has been introduced, which is yet to be approved by the parliament, and this can severely impact true callers' operations in India. And interestingly, India contributes to close to sixty-nine percent of the company's overall revenue. So even a minor impact coming from this policy could have larger implications for this uh, for the Sweden-based company. According to this new law, any data that can identify an individual, such as name, addresses, financial information, or IP address, all of these things will be covered under the Personal Data Protection Bill. While the restrictions are put in place, only necessary data is collected. It also means that all the data that a company collects will be stored within the Indian borders. and yeah in the ipo in the ipo prospectus which true caller had filed it was mentioned that this bill could be a potential risk in its future business growth but if you look at it right this is almost 1.4 billion dollars of revenue we are talking about right how do you see this development progressing and what sort of precedence does it set for other global companies i mean i haven't downloaded true caller right i mean i never got the point i mean why i would want to share this data with others right and you know also god alone knows what people saved my name as right i mean i don't want to <laughs> so there was that risk also so look i mean this uh, data protection bill is a long due thing right i mean so far we have been sort of clutching on to the it act which is somewhere i think 2007 2008ish that was uh, brought about right and uh, this bill was first proposed in 2019 and uh, it categorizes data into three parts general sensitive and critical and it basically says sensitive and critical data cannot leave india and i think this is again a sign of a mature sort of an economy and in a mature regulator right realizing the fact that look i mean this data is actually valuable it can be an asset and it can it it can have a potential for misuse right with everything that's happened right i mean where some of this big tech uh, is acting like supranational entities right and uh, meddling in elections or potentially meddling in elections and influencing public opinions so on and so forth i mean this is absolutely right for the government to recognize the potential of this data and start uh, playing some guardrails as such right and given that supreme court also has re- recognized right to privacy as a fundamental thing this is you know this augments that uh, basically and what uh, the bill also proposes is a data protection authority or a dpa which acts as a watchdog 
and I don't know too much of the legalities of it but what i understand is that they've proposed a very broad sort of a, a framework right so so a lot of these operational executional or last mile stuff will still come down to the dpa which is fine right i mean that's what you expect i mean you can't really go into the specifics when you pro- propose the first version of a bill because i mean how often are you going to go to the parliament and again get it passed right i mean it's going to be very difficult to pass these amendments frequently so i guess it's it's fine i mean that way the fine they have proposed is also pretty significant right 4% of the turnover or pro- turnover or profits i'm not pretty sure right i mean or 15 crores up to that amount is what they have said and uh, that's a pretty significant amount but you know again how much of that will be enforced and so on is uh, left to be seen but yeah i mean this is uh, this is a pretty important thing and it will definitely affect uh, true caller right and true caller has done a, a great job so far i guess right uh, you know from they they founded in 20, 2009 and at least they're upfront about the fact that look their monetization models involve your data sharing right involves advertising and so on at least they're up very very upfront on that fact unlike some of the other companies uh, even of the orders of facebook or whatsapp and so on and also the fact that you know they have some kind of a recourse as well so you can delist your number it it probably takes some time but you can delist your number as well so it is definitely a risk so we'll see what happens but even if you talk about the the bigger data storage within indian borders right if you talk about that story companies such as ku who has been spending like lakhs of rupees every day to promote itself on facebook to beat twitter right these companies are also growing and last week we saw what the the inter- global facebook outage caused it was like millions of dollars lost in business any thoughts on that yeah so i'm i'm i rarely log in on facebook or even instagram maybe once in a while but yeah i rarely log in on facebook so it didn't affect me in any way whatsoever the the best take i saw that i saw on this was someone who tweeted facebook was down everyone cared about it i was down nobody bothered <laughs> bad yeah. joke but it 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 just seems so funny i mean i saw it on twitter yeah twitter was just like lit up but uh, let's move on to some other news crypto is not something which we discuss you know on a regular basis but last week we saw a lot of action in this space chingari which is a short video sharing platform they raised 19 million dollars in crypto tokens from over two dozen venture funds and individuals which includes the likes of republic crypto solana capital and kraken which is a us based cryptocurrency exchange Now with this funding Chingari you know plans to launch its own social token called Gari on the Solana blockchain and these funds will continue building the infrastructure for the crypto token which will allow creators on its platform to establish an e-commerce storefront for their physical merchandise NFTs or even you know direct payments from fans on a subscription basis currently if people need to you know contribute to their content creators they need to do it via Patreon or buy me a coffee but chingari is now leading the space in you know where you can actually donate money or pay for subscription using cryptocurrencies and many apps such as chingari roposo and trell are working to create the vacuum which you know apps like tiktok have left right which is a huge market space and with crypto e-commerce being being embedded into these applications this might just become the whole new e-commerce paradigm in the next 5 to 6 years right what yeah. do you no i mean anything that helps content creators is a plus one right from my end i really don't know how some of this nft and 
you know tokens and all of that works i mean i really have to go read up on that but yeah i mean anything that's a that rewards content creators is a plus one in my book chingari itself the china the the anti china sentiment and the tiktok ban certainly helped but they've been around for 3 or 4 years right and uh, pretty significant user base as well i mean last i checked 10 million plus uh, downloads and and they're in the same format right short form videos about 20 plus local languages and um, yeah i mean we've, we've spoken about share chat which is like 200 million plus users and so on so yeah i mean it it will be interesting and and, and it's it's another form of revenue for content creators right so so more power to them for sure also today we still do not have any regulations for cryptocurrency in india because the government is taking you know considerable amount of time to think it through and for also the right reason right uh, recently defi platform compound they accidentally sent close to 90 million dollars in crypto to its users and this was caused by a bug in a recent update they had pushed to the system now to speak a bit about defi platforms they don't have a bank or any other middleman administering the funds instead it completely relies on what is called smart contracts that are struck between users and a government completely by the computer code and as people might have guessed if the code is buggy then of course it leads to disasters for the users now after uh, this accident happened compound ceo robert leshner he you know put out a tweet I, I let, literally threatening the users that to either return the money or their you know information would be made public but later on he apologized for that but this is just one of the recent crypto debacles that we have seen right what are your thoughts on as defi and crypto will gain popularity in india yeah defi is a very interesting phenomenon right and uh, even in india where you know settlements are almost like on a daily basis right compared to the us infrastructure financial infrastructure where it actually you know the, the back end is pretty slow and stuff even here i mean decentralized finance is something that will definitely definitely add value but crypto man i mean you need balls of steel to operate in this space right i mean we've spoken about it before because i don't think at this point of time even governments are like you know absolutely certain what crypto is right is it an asset a currency or a technology or all of the above right and you know we've seen uh, we've had nistel of wazirx uh, before on the podcast he uh, you know spoke about how it's important to educate people about what this is before they even invest in it and yeah i mean it's it's uh, it's a difficult evolving exciting innovative space right and uh, these things are going to happen i mean it's the equivalent of outages back in the day when things first started moving into the internet so it's going to happen right and uh, i would really urge people not to get distracted by all of the ups downs and the sideways that keeps happening on the on some of the notional value on these things i mean sure i mean this is not investment advice right but uh, it's crypto is something like a genie out of the bottle phenomena right it's going to be here how much of it is going to be relevant in your life well who knows we're going to see in the next 5 10 years also i think uh, ethereum will be having its first upgrade to ethereum 2.0 maybe later this month and i think there was also a recent launch of web 3.0 that happened While so I for was- me the most uh, see for me the most exciting thing about this is how some of this blockchain technology can be applied elsewhere right recently i think uh, and and we should spend some time on perhaps the next round of covering this which is the whole blockchain for govern go- for governance right something like land records for example is a no brainer for me right i mean land records in india probably take up around 25 30% of all of the cases pending at the courts right and given the amount of lag that we have these records have to be on the blockchain like yesterday right and uh, that's a huge huge order of magnitude innovation for us from in, from just from a judicial capacity perspective right and so things like that is something that i'm really excited by the technological you know application of this all of this uh, 
financial value of like you know how much it's going to be worth today tomorrow day after i mean that i, I could really care less about really no i think andhra pradesh government has been if i remember correctly this was close to december of 2019 that they were piloting you know digitizing all the land records on the blockchain right but yeah interesting if we can do a cover on this on the next round up but let's talk about some of the unicorns that some of the startups that became unicorns last week one was licious that had raised 52 million dollars in a new financing round and they became the first direct to consumer startup to attain the unicorn status this was the series g round and it was led by iifl and this came in just 3 months after the last funding which was of 192 million dollars at a valuation of 650 million dollars now licious has completely revolutionized the entire meat seafood and poultry supply chain right which was earlier highly unorganized but you know while we have seen funding in the d2c space increase manifold but we do not hear many investments in the fmcg category you think there are any specific reasons for so it's harder to scale a d2c business right you know you you have mensa coming up and that is part of the uh, value proposition from mensa as well it's just very hard because it's not a bits and bytes kind of a situation it's a atoms and molecules kind of a situation you have to actually move physical goods from one point to another so you have to get involved in supply chain logistics and all of those things right so it's definitely definitely not easy to scale a consumer business um having said that licious is a phenomenal uh, business i mean they've just been quietly growing you know almost 3x every year in fact last year they they grew by 500% uh, in the pandemic apparently right obviously because i don't think you know shops were open and people could go out and so on right it's a whole farm to fork model they supply fresh meat and meat is one of those commodities which is always uh, in demand right the demand is always greater than the supply and uh, the thing about licious is they've done this whole backward integration really well really really well so they've been able to you know create that supply chain streamline what is a very very fragmented industry and the payoffs have been significant right i mean order value for them is around 500 to 600 bucks uh, they also charge about 10 to 15% or even more actually for some of the meat items they are at a premium obviously because of all of the stuff that they do right cleaning cutting and you know all of the quality assurance and everything um they make anywhere between 25 to 30% margin which is pretty high again right uh and 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 it's also something which is a repeat purchase right i mean you will order one or two times a week if not almost daily right uh, in some form or, or the other and all of this results in very good unit economics they have a critical scale also i mean they they're probably doing around 1000 crores in revenue and they had raised a bunch of money earlier as well uh, i think in july they raised about 192 million so right. this is a very very interesting uh, business jivraj of indian silicon valley had spoken to the founder of lucius i'm yet to see that podcast i'm yet to listen to the podcast but uh, do check it out it seems to be interesting yeah let's talk about mensa brands a bit it was started by you know former mckinsey partner and mintra ceo anand narayan and they're currently in talks to raise funds at a billion dollar valuation now if this happens they'll be the quick the startup to attain the unicorn status in the fastest period of time i think it's, it's less than 6 months that they have started Now Mensa is building a house of brands by acquiring sellers in the apparel, home appliance, personal care and beauty space, similar to what uh, Thrasio has done in the US. And Thrasio just within 2 years it was valued at 4 billion dollars and was profitable. And right now Mensa is in the early stages to raise 200 million dollars from its investors. If Mensa becomes a unicorn in, within 6 months, it will be surpassing blue collar worker hiring platform Apna, which took less than 2 years to reach the mark. So now from 2 years the cycle is getting shortened to just 6 months. 
But you know, it's interesting to actually note that this valuation is purely based on Anand's expertise and experience. You know, considering his background, what do you make of such valuations? Well, it's also a very meta thing, right? It's it's raising money to invest money, basically. So we've spoken about Mensa earlier. They're like a holding company, or typically, you know, how one of the Tatas or the larger FMCG brands operate, right? Where they identify certain products or categories and sort of nurture them and brand them and sell them to the larger public. And uh, we also spoke about the fact that, you know, it's very difficult to scale this sort of a consumer business, right? I mean, there's this whole aspect of logistics, um, you know, having your whole distributor network, so on and so forth. And clearly, you know, the founders of Mensa have some experience on that regard. And they're really like offering this experience at large to all of these brands. So it should definitely be an interesting uh, thing. And uh, you know, we've seen Amazon Sambav, for example, raise about 250 million fund for SMEs. We've seen, I think Flipkart has a similar initiative as well, right? So all of this is going to grow going further because, you know, obviously COVID has made e-commerce like the default, right? Right now, it's grown by a phenomenal amount since last year. So yeah, I mean, plenty of interesting brands coming into the mainstream. So I'm really looking forward to, you know, the next uh, toothpaste and the next whatever else, uh, you know, regular brands that we use, right? So, so that should be interesting. But this also reminds me of the strategies with Amazon had deployed, you know, since they used to like leverage so much of data on consumer behavior, it was easy for them to acquire smaller stores on their platform, right? And yeah, I mean, exciting to see how this space pans out in the next few months. But there's also been some other developments within the ecosystem. Most recently, hundreds of service professionals were working as expert beauticians with Urban Company. They staged a protest on Friday at the Gurugram office of the firm. They highlighted that the persistent high commissions which Urban Company charges, some of them are high as 35%. And even the dwindling incomes are making it difficult for the for many of these work, blue-collared workers to make their ends meet. In fact, Urban Company also mandates that beauticians purchase beauty products from the company and not from outside. And some of these have a market price of over 500%. But this is also not the first strike by the workers of Urban Company. In March 2021, 70 professionals working in the cleaning category staged a protest in Bangalore saying that they were unable to earn anything after the monthly subscription fee and the commissions are deducted. Even in that category, cleaning products were needed to be bought from UC and not from the public markets. But, you know, while we're hearing these stories, gig economy is also booming in India, right? Due to Swiggy, Zomato, Dunzo, Urban Company and the likes. But do you think the government will need to intervene at some point sooner or later to actually, you know, form some unions and make sure that the the working qualities are standardized? The unions have already happened, right? Uh, The government intervention is kind of pending and it would be unfortunate, but I think regulation is the only way to kind of solve this, right? Because, you know, as I've said before, I don't think any place where the supply side is this unhappy can can remain the same way, right? I mean, it will be disrupted in one form or the other through an innovation or through regulation. And my preference obviously is through innovation, right? I hope that you know, some of these brands do realize that they have to take care of the supply side. And we spoke about Licious, right? For for instance, Licious employs all of these people on its roles, right? And they're setting an example for other brands to follow. But it's also the case that, you know, people who are dissatisfied with this will be a vocal minority, usually, right? I mean, people who are happy don't come on the streets and say that, you know, hey, I'm happy and <laughs> you're doing everything well, right? So it doesn't happen. So we really have to see whether this is like a fringe phenomena or this is across the board, right? We don't know. Beauty and wellness is one of those key categories for urban company, right? And uh, look, I mean, they are 
they're doing a lot of things right i mean they're aggregating demand right and they're driving consumer behavior change right how many of us would uh, really book a haircut at our homes or book a whatever else beauty treatment at homes right i mean none of us gunjan you wanted your facials i know that but uh, you would go to the <laughs> you would go to the neighborhood salon right but you know i mean they're doing all of this right and this is expensive man i mean it's going to take uh, you know a lot of dollars to sort of get to that and they have to make up their money in some way or the other right i mean and one of those is like through sell of selling of all of these equipment and and so on so i don't know i mean uh, there has to be a reasonable midpoint to this and uh, i guess you know urban company will realize at some point that you know i mean they have to sort of give in to some of these demands and get to a get to a midpoint right i mean i can see both sides of the argument i mean the the capitalist side which says that hey you don't have to be tied to this so you can do what you want you can associate or not associate and so on i can also see the other side of things where these folks are not on the rolls right and they're treated as partners but they're also not entirely in control of their destiny right so so yeah i mean it's an evolving thing and it's 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 difficult you know it's it's difficult because it's a new and evolving space and plenty of changes underway so so we'll see how this pans out also in other news scooter rental startup bounce they are planning to enter the electric scooter manufacturing space with the recent acquisition of 22 motors this is the last leg of the acquisition which is in a all cash and stock deal the terms of the deals are almost finalized and are likely to be in the range of 7 to 10 million dollars 22 motors co-founder farhan shabir along with the team of 25 to 30 people will be joining bounce and i think the last funding round which bounce had was an equity round of 105 million dollars and this was in Jan- january 2020 now with this acquisition bounce will be entering a market and they'll be com- competing with the likes of ola electric ather energy hero electric and several other two wheeler ev brands bounce and trendo motors have already started working on the scooter's design and the specifications and they're aiming to roll out the first batch by the end of this fiscal around february and march i have a feeling that within 2023 the end of 2020 we'll see more, a lot of electric vehicles and two wheelers yeah. on so no for sure uh, i mean i was so i was listening to the union minister mr gadkari speak yesterday at the india today conclave and i mean he's dead serious right that uh, the fact that you know by 2030 or so majority of the vehicles on the road will be electric already there are you know mandatory requirements for some of the public transport and the government vehicles to be electric Uh, we've seen the fame subsidy as well and all of this put together i think there are a lot of tailwinds on the regulatory side of things to enable this right and uh, it makes absolute sense uh, i think bounces market was pretty badly hit with the pandemic right when people were not really going out and so on and uh, this is uh, a much required innovation and ola has sort of set the pace and set the tone for this entire space right uh, with the amount of uh, innovation that they are pioneering interestingly i think the hero family has probably invested in bounce as well I think pawan manjal is one of the early investors here and uh, i think the more these brands come into the space the more startups start executing in the space the cost of innovation will come down and that could be amazing for the environment as well we've seen you know the amount of stress on coal for instance so 70% of our of our energy comes from coal in india right and and we've also seen the amount of the, the way oil oil has gone up right over i don't know what it's at right now 110 i think i think the current price around close to 108 or 109 in mumbai exactly so so given all of that i think ev will become mainstream very very quickly i feel right and uh, i'm going to be talking to uh, vivekanand of bounce uh, next week and hopefully you know we'll we'll chat about this plan and uh, a lot more details to be coming out on the podcast soon right
Okay, so let's talk about some of the other venture deals that took place last week. Byju's had raised about three hundred million dollars as part of a larger round of new investment, as the Indian edtech giant focuses on expanding its international businesses and aggressively explores M and A opportunities. Now, with this new investment, Byju's is now valued at eighteen billion dollars, which is up from a valuation of sixteen point five billion in June this year. Clarisite also secured a $14 million Series A round to help marketers solve their attribution puzzle. Clarisite's platform lets companies connect marketing data to sales data and makes it easier for the company to measure the performance of you know, the marketing strategies and also attribute proper opportunities to sales. The funding round saw participation from Guillaume Cabane, Zach Koelis, Max Oshula, Connor Murphy and Jens, Jens Lepinski. The raised funds will be used to expand their go-to-market and customer success teams. Capita, which offers equity management SaaS solutions, has announced that it has raised fifteen million dollars in Series A round, and this was led by East Ventures and Vulcan Capital. The team has also grown from seven people twelve months ago to currently about sixty-five people, and they have offices in Singapore and India. Capita plans to scale up its talent across India, Indonesia, and Singapore in the near future. Fintech startup Procap has raised uh, $30 million in a Series C round, which was led by their existing investor, Tiger Global Management, and new investor creation investments. The funds will be used by the company to expand and deepen its supply chain banking platform for its merchants and corporate network. They'll also facilitate access to collateral free, free working capital to small and mid-sized businesses, as well as retailers in India. And in the last year, Procap claims to have seen a 400% growth in their loan disbursements. Probably by the end of March 2022, they will be achieving a one billion dollar value of disbursals. Now these are like some, you know, not so small size checks, and um, a lot of these startups we had covered recently, right? As gaining, getting some fun, uh, funding from the markets. The cycles are just shortening day by day. What, what do yeah. you make? No, for sure. I mean, so yesterday I was talking to Rajiv, a friend of mine, for about three hours on all of the optimism that's there in the startup ecosystem and how all of this capital and innovation is going to benefit all of us, right? Uh, very, very tangibly. So, yeah, shout out to uh, Ravi and Shrikant of Capita. I mean, we've uh, uh, spoken about the Capita journey on a podcast earlier. Uh, do check it out. I think it's a very interesting business. Yeah, I mean, all the best to all the the other teams as well. Really looking forward to you know what they can do on the next uh, orbit forward. Okay, so this also like you know has a good seg- segue of of one of very interesting tweet that we came across. This was by John Danner. You know, he has a very a very unique view as to why the current funding market is terrible for founders. Right, he goes on to talk about you know the comparisons of what Series A and Series A plus funding rounds used to be pre-pandemic. And how this entire sentiment has been changing, you know, currently. What do you make of this? I mean, what are your thoughts on it? See, he's got a point for sure, right? I mean, easy availability of capital will have some downsides. And here he's talking about the fact that people do not have adequate product market fit, and they're raising all this money, and then you know they're committing to their board and their investors, and the investors are committing to LPs and so on and so forth, and. Uh, uh, how that entire cycle can result in a lot of stress, right? And he's absolutely right. He's is hundred percent right on that. But I do feel that this whole process of creative destruction is a net positive for the ecosystem, right? I mean, more people will come in, more people will burn their hands, more people will realize that you know how to build a startup better, right? So on that front, I mean, I always feel it's a net positive. 
you know word of uh, advice and caution to startup teams though right i mean capital is a commitment right it's a responsibility so be very sure of certain things at least and you know don't try to game the system and and be very well aware of the fact that you know ultimately you have to return money to investors right and which i think most founders are i mean they're they're way savvier than you know what founders were about 5 or 10 years back but it's definitely an interesting thread something to be aware of and i think uh, yeah you guys should for sure check this out no but also like you to i mean it definitely helps the investors right they're able to hedge their bets against in an industry seeing what sticks they're coming in they're coming in a lot earlier right i mean you look at the likes of tiger for example tiger was a growth stage fund they're coming in at series a right now you look at programs like surge or axel atoms and so on i mean they're they're really going in very very early right and they're not cutting the 100k sort of check size they're they're cutting like 200 250k and even going up further at that stage itself right and so yeah i mean there is a point there is a point of course that you know in all of these growth stage folks have come in have started to come in very very early and i i it's the equivalent of like you know putting a kerchief on the seat right in your bus or something right so that's what that's what they're trying to do they're coming in early to sort of reserve a seat at the table and that's bound to happen that's just bound to happen all right so roshan before we wrap up this week's roundup let's talk about some of the conversations you'll be having one is a jahan pestin jamas who is the co-founder and director of bohico and the other is vivekanand halakere who is the co-founder and ceo of bounce can you uh, share with the listeners a bit about that so i've already spoken to jahan and it was a one hour plus conversation on the hemp industry in india right and which is i was curious about it but i was just like drawn in hook line and sinker once jahan started speaking right and it's a very very new and nascent space and obviously there's a ton of misinformation there so they have worked very very closely with regulators on you know the applications of hemp and they're doing so many of these so many of these things through first principles i mean it's sure exhausting right whether it's the product distribution the policy side of things or any other stuff right and very very comprehensive uh, it's a it's a great primer for anyone who's looking at a new and nascent space and you know how to execute in that very nice conversation i am really looking forward to the other conversation with vivekanand it's i haven't recorded it yet hopefully this week bounce is a is sort of an interesting journey right i mean we just spoke about them exploring the ev space now so it'll be really interesting to understand you know what what the future is for them and mobility as i've said is one of those key criteria things uh, one of those key things in india right and uh, i'm really looking forward to this as well so Two very uh, good episodes coming up yeah right so just an announcement folks if you have any questions that you would want us to ask uh, our guests please to send them through through our linkedin uh, twitter instagram handles also we started this round up when it was bright and sunny in bangalore and i think we'll wrap up with like heavy rains outside thank god the internet did not like shut down midway but yeah thanks everyone roshan this was a great chat folks do uh, keep following us on our social media channels on linkedin twitter and also we recently started publishing bulletins over whatsapp which is a free subscription that we have you'll see the link on the description of this video and the podcast episode so don't forget to subscribe to that and yeah this is a really great week this puja is going on folks have a happy and a safe puja and yeah. navratri and yeah we'll see you again next week Have a happy Navratri, folks! And uh, this is perhaps the la- longest roundup, I suppose, right? Or, or I think the the one with JPK was longer than this. But yeah, this was fun. I mean, I think every week there's just a lot more happening in the ecosystem. So probably, I mean, we should shift the format to a forty-five minute roundup. Who knows? It's like we're heading that way. <laughs> All right. Thanks, All right. guys. Thanks, Stay safe. Take care.